prayer. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Lord God, prepare our hearts for what you want to say to each one of us as individuals and as the body of Christ. We love you. We surrender to you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Okay, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, it says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Last week, we began this series called Seasons. And this morning, what I want to talk about is how we can move from one season to the next in our lives. We kind of last, last week was part one of this sermon, so if you didn't get to hear it, make sure you go online and listen to the podcast or grab one of the DVDs out here and listen to it. But that kind of laid the foundation, and now we're asking the how question. How can we move from one season of the next in our lives. God wants us. He doesn't want us to stand still. He wants us to spiritually continue to move forward in our lives. He wants us to conform to the image of Christ. That's what God wants for our lives. So how do we how do we do that? Well, we laid out a foundation last week, like I said, and one of the scriptures we used was 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long? That's a question we all need to answer. I need to answer it. You all, need, you all need to answer it, okay? As we set the foundation for moving forward in this series, that's something we need to ask ourselves. How long will we waver between two opinions? How long will we continue to, to choose to be, have, have one foot in the world and one foot in the Word, if you will? To begin a, a new season of your life takes a strong foundation. It takes a solid foundation. You need to decide, every single one of us needs to decide, who is the Lord of our lives? Who is the Lord in your life? You think, well, I'm in church, and Jesus is my Lord, and he's the Lord of my life. Well, let's, let's, let's just think about this for a second. Most people, if they were really honest, they would say that they are the Lord of their lives. Their feelings and their experiences. When there's a topic, a social topic, when, there's, uh, when you're at work, when you're at school, whatever the case may be, and you're thinking about it, usually people, okay, the Lord of their lives are themselves, they are, their feelings or their experiences. Or it's the culture that's the Lord of your life. Social pressure. I'm at work. I'm at school. When there's a topic that comes up. Everyone is standing over here, Okay. So what do I want to do? I kind of want to stand over here, too, because I don't want that social pressure. I don't want people to think poorly of me. I want everyone to like me. I want to make sure I'm in the in crowd, whatever the case may be. So it's social pressure that's the Lord of your life. The culture becomes the Lord of your life. Or is it God? Is it the word of God? 
Is God, is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of your life? We have to answer that question. I rem- uh, this past week, we have a men's Bible study at uh, 7 in the morning on Wednesday mornings over at the Orca Center, which is the street over, 406 over here. Um, and if you'd like to be a part of that, just touch base on the after the service, and I'll tell you where we are. But here's the thing. We were in this men's meeting. We were kind of talking about lordship, and people started going through and saying, you know, you asked that question last week, and I thought, well, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. He's my friend, and, and, we're fr-. and, and he realized he started doing a study on that, and he said, wait, Jesus, Lord means master, and I am then Jesus' servant, and my responsibility is to be obedient to my master. And he said, when I started thinking about it that way, it took, took on a whole new meaning. You've got to ask, ask, yourself, ask yourself the question, what masters me? Who is the master of my life? What dictates the direction of my life? Who dictates the direction of my life? Elisha, okay, Elisha didn't waver between two opinions, He didn't waver between two opinions. When Elijah called him, when he threw his cloak around him, Elisha was not wavering. His response was immediate. He didn't hesitate to take on that call. And as we'll find out, when he said, let me go back and say goodbye to my father and to my mother, that wasn't an act of hesitation or of, of, of indecision or confusion in his life. That's not what was happening here. Elisha's response shows that he was not only, not only was it not an act of hesitation, it was, he was prepared. He was prepared for this calling in his life. We talked about that last week, how God prepared him. So when God called him, Elisha was prepared to follow that call. For Elisha, there was no real decision to make. God called him, and he was going to to respond to God's call. God said, jump, and Elisha said, how high? He wasn't confused. Many people see a similarity between the story here in 1 Kings 19, 19-21, and in Luke chapter 9, verses 57-62, through 62, but they're not similar at all, except in some of the words. They're not similar. Let me read you Luke chapter 9, verses 57-62. through 62. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go back and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you proclaim, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, very quickly, that person's father wasn't actually dead. Okay, he was saying, basically, let me wait till my father dies. My father dies. I'm responsible to bury him. So when it all happens, then I'll come and follow you. That's what he was saying. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, Jesus understood what was in these men's hearts. He understood their hearts. He understood that they were trying to get out of any commitment. They were trying to get out of actually serving God. It was a different story altogether. They're trying to avoid service. Elisha, on the other hand, is basically showing respect and honor to his parents 
and, and, and he, what he was doing, he, was, he, was, he, he wanted to celebrate his calling of God, the calling of God in his life, and this new season of his life with his parents and the people around him. Totally different. He wasn't, there was no wavering going on here. There was no wavering going on here. We'll see, we'll see this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21 in just a few minutes. Elijah allows Elisha to do what he's asking to do. He says, go back. And then he adds, what have I done to you? Okay, that's really important. Elijah was telling Elisha, go back and bid farewell to your your parents and your family bid farewell because God has, is using me to, to do something amazing in your life, to change your life. And this is really, really important. He wanted Elisha to understand, to realize that it was God who was calling him. God was the one who was calling Elisha. It was his call. It was his call. He wanted to make sure, he wanted Elisha, he wanted, to, he wanted to make sure that he understood that. The implication was that Elisha was accountable to God and not to man. That is so important for all of us to understand. As we go from one season of our lives to the next, God does not want us to stay in the season where we are right now spiritually. He wants us to continue to move forward. And if we're going to do that, the foundation of where we are and where we're going to needs to be strong. It needs to be Christ. We need to understand if God calls us, who is actually doing the calling? Elijah was not the one doing the calling for Elisha, and Elijah wanted him to understand. He said, go and do. What, what have I done? This is, God, this is what God has done in your life. So do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. Because Elisha, Elisha right away was ready to follow him. He said, here's what I need to do, and then I'm going to follow you. So here's the key. To move to the next season of our lives, we need to make sure that God is the foundation. We need to make sure that he is the Lord of our lives and that we are following him. We are not following other voices. And that when those voices come into our lives, this is important. If it's God who has called you, okay, other voices shouldn't deter you from doing what God has called you to do. The foundation needs to be God's calling. We see this, a similar principle in Acts chapter 5 in verse 29. When Peter and the disciples say to, to those who are around them, we must obey God rather than man. We're responsible to God. We're not responsible to you. That's so important when you're taking that step of faith. God's authority supersedes all human authority in every area, every aspect of our lives. When God calls you to do something, nothing should stop you from doing what God has called you to do because he is the Lord of your life. He has authority in your life. He is the one leading you. As, as, God, as God's people, we need to remember that. We need to actually, we need to hold on to that. We need to remember that we are ultimately accountable to the Lord for what we do with our lives. God can use other people. God can use other mature people in our lives to teach us, to motivate us, to inspire us. 
But what is God using those people to do? He's ultimately using those folks to bring us closer to him, to his will and to his purpose for our lives. We are responsible. They can build into us, but we are responsible for how we live every step of our lives. And that also holds true for people who choose to try to lead us astray. We're still responsible for our decisions. You say, well, my friends, I'm being pulled, my friends, my friends have a lot of sway over me. That's an excuse. You are going to be held accountable by God for the decisions that you make, even though they're trying to lead you astray. Because who is the master of your life? Jesus is. Therefore, you obey your master. You're a servant of that master. You're not a servant of your friends. They are not, unless they have mastered you, going back to what I said. What, who is the Lord of your life? Is it, is it culture? Peer pressure? Right? Cultural pressure, social pressure at work? Who is the Lord of your life? We are responsible, regardless of what other people say or do, to continue to follow through what God has called us to do. We need to ask the now what question. You know, there are times in our lives we go through difficulties. We go through strains. We, we, we go through events in our lives. And, or, or we have people who have wronged us in our lives. And in those cases, we cannot use those as excuses. We need to ask the question, now what? This has happened to me. This person has done this to me. Now what? Are you going to be a victim or are you going to find victory in Christ? Here's the bottom line. If you see yourself as a victim, then you will never be able to fulfill God's call in your life. If you continue to see yourself as a victim, you cannot, you cannot look at yourself that way. We need to see ourselves as victors in Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Verse 21 continues. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Okay, so this is how we see where his heart was. Okay, let me go back, say good, kiss my parents, say goodbye to my parents, say goodbye to the people around me. He goes back and, and slaughters the, the, the oxen. He burns the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. The oxen, okay, the plow and the yoke represent the tools of his trade. They were the tools of his trade. Each of you, whether you're in business or maybe you're a lawyer or maybe you're a doctor or maybe you're in construction or maybe you're a plumber or maybe you're an electrician, you all have the tools of your trade. When a plumber comes to my home, then he brings in the tools of his trade. The oxen, the yoke, and the plow were the tools of this man's trade, of Elisha's trade. They represented, okay, this is important, they represented his past life. They represented the tools of his old trade. They represented his past life. Verse 21, in verse 21, Elisha is declaring his commitment to follow God wherever God chooses to lead him. This is, a, this is a declaration that I'm going to follow God. In other words, the old has gone, the new has come. The Bible tells us that. But that happens every day in our lives. The old is gone, the new has come. Boy, that person is really, he's got, he is hot-tempered. He is hot-tempered. 
you slowly walk and you grow one season to the next. By the time, maybe two years down the road, people who knew you two years ago would say, boy, that guy, Jeff, he is hot tempered. People who just met you are like, what are you talking about? He's so mild mannered. You can't get a rise out of the guy. Are we talking about the same person? No, you're not. The old is gone. The new has come. That's your past. That's who you were. That's who you were. But we are called by God to move from season to season to season. Here's a cool thing. Elisha answers Elijah's question to all of us. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? Here would have been wavering. Yeah, Elijah, one, yeah, we'll get there. Listen, take my stuff, put it in the barn, okay? Keep it for me. Take care of my oxen, all right? I don't know how long I'm going with this guy. Just, you know, keep him healthy, all right? That's wavering. Elisha is not wavering between two opinions. This is amazing. He burns any bridges that he had to his past. He is, he is leaving one season and he is committed to the next season of his life. He's leaving one. He's committed to the next. His desire, his only desire is to know God and to do the will of God who called him. And he burns the plow, the yoke, and kills the ox, slaughters them. These, now, he was the guy in charge. He was the rich guy, okay? So he had the best oxen, kills the best, okay? Sacrifice, feeds the people, celebration. Guys, I'm leaving. I'm leaving for good. I killed the oxen. I've, the tools of my trade have been burned. I used them to burn and cook the oxen. And now I'm leaving. You probably will never see me again. See, that, that is commitment. That is what God is calling us to. We sing, does this sermon started long before I got up here. No turning back. I've made up my mind. Right? I'm giving it all this time. We sing those songs and we, we, we mean it. But you've got to think about it. No turning back. I've made up my mind. That's what Elisha was saying. No turning back. I've made up my mind. Burn this and move forward. We will never, you will never, I will never become the person that God has created me to be if I don't burn. Okay, if I will not, if I'm unwilling to burn the bridges to my past. Now, I'm not talking about the good. I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. You will never move on to, the new, to this new season of your life if you're not willing to burn the bridges to your past. Okay? So you're, you're addicted to something. There's some addiction in your life. It's in your house. And you say, man, after this sermon, you know, I am no longer, I am free. I'm no longer addicted. But that stash you have is still in your house. And you're looking, you're like, you know, I should get rid of that, but... Um, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to use that anymore. I'm not going to look at that anymore. It doesn't really matter. So I just, I just leave it. No, 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 no. Here, here's what we're talking about. You want to leave that season of your life, of that addiction? You burn it. You get rid of it. Throw it in the trash. Go out back and burn the whole stuff up. Pour it out. Whatever it is, get rid of it. He burned and he bridges to what would hold him to his past. We need to understand that. What is it that you're holding on to? If you're not going to burn it, then you're the guys in, in, in Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Man, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Just tell me when and where, buddy. You and I are going. All right, now let's go. Well, you know, my father is looking kind of peaked. Um, 
And the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. So, I, you know, I'm going to wait. You know, he's probably got a good 15 years left in him. You know what I mean? But I'll, I'll maybe try to knock him off a little early and I'll catch up to you. You know what I'm saying? That's, that, that's, where, that's where we are sometimes. We're playing games with God. Elisha was not playing any games. God, he was prepared. God called him. He then turns and he burns, okay, kills the oxen, burns them on the tools of his trade, says goodbye to everyone, and never looks back. No turning back. I've made up my mind. Lord, I am with you. I'm all in. I'm with you completely. That was Elisha's attitude. And my friends, I I say this for myself. I say it for all of you. We will never accomplish what God has called us to. We will never make it to that next season of our lives. And God demands that we move from season to season. It will never happen if we don't burn the bridges to our past and the things we're holding on to. We see the same principle, same principle in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. This is really cool. I'm getting goosebumps I'm all worked up. All right, listen, okay? Listen now, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you when I want you to listen even more. Here's the thing. This is us, okay? I want to know Christ, yes, and know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But listen to this. Listen. But I press on. Listen to these words. But I press on to take hold of that for, for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Listen to those words. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Go, go in Christ Jesus. It's all this moving forward, pulling forward. This is what I want. My goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that's where I'm going. Anything that is going to hold me back from the seasons of my life that I need to walk through in order to get to that point, I need to burn them. I need to do away with them. I need to let them go. It can no longer be a part of my life. That's what he's talking about here. This is awesome. And that principle has helped guide my life and help change my life. This the principle we just described. It's the ability not to let your past dictate your future. It's just having that ability to let go of the past. Listen, I've made a ton of mistakes in the past. If you've been around me, some of you have been around me for a long time, and you could rattle off all Jeff's mistakes. But you know what? I don't dwell on them. I learn from them. I don't dwell on them. I don't dwell on my mistakes. I don't, I don't allow the offenses of others, that people, what they've done to me, become the, the, the thing that grips my life, the ball and chain, if you will, on my leg that I drag around with me. I don't allow those things to continue to dominate my life. What I do is I try to use my past to strengthen my future. To, I, I use my past as future gain. I look at the past and say, boy, what a mistake that was. What a mistake. And I don't dwell on it, but I use the past to help me in the present and in the future. I have watched people. Here, I want you to make. I want. To, I want this picture to be in your mind. I have watched people become suspended in time over an event in their lives. I've used this before, but I want to use it again. Here's what happens: some event in your life 
captures you. Someone did something to you. Something happened to you, and that becomes your son. Not S-O-N, okay? S-U-N. It becomes the son. And every other choice, this, every other decision, every other event, every other, revolves around that. So you end up walking in a circle. Jesus says, come and follow me. Jesus is going somewhere, but you're not going somewhere because that event became your son. And now your whole life revolves around that event. I'm telling you, I want to grab your hand and pull you out of that circle and get you moving in the right direction. That should not dominate your life. You need to burn that. Let the sun consume itself or whatever analogy you want to use. You need to break free from that. You are not walking on the road with Christ. You are walking in a circle. You're walking in a circle and you are stuck in a season of your life. And that cannot be. The power of Jesus Christ can help you overcome that event. Whatever happened in your life is not more powerful than the Holy Spirit living in you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. You need to break free from that walking in circle. Elisha was making a statement. He was making a statement. He burned it. He was making a statement. He was telling he was, he was telling his family, he was telling his friends that he was entering a new season of life, a new vision with new goals, new expectations, new challenges, new, new commitments, new priorities. I'm leaving the old and I'm going to something new. And he was coming back to celebrate with all of them and let them know what God was doing in his life. In the Bible, in the Bible, standing still... And I'll use the walking in a circle, okay? But standing still or looking back when you're told to go forward never works out well. Never works out well. When God commands you, when he commands you to go forward, to not stand still, and to not look back, because that's what we do sometimes. God starts calling us, but we're walking like this. Now, you get nervous, right? I'm about to take two more steps. Where am I going? Right, exactly. Some of you were like, oh, let's slow down here, buddy. You know, you think your arms hurt now. That's right, exactly. You can't, you're, what's going to happen? It's like people who are on their cell phones, you know what I'm saying? They're walking, and they walk into a manhole, they get hit by a car. That happens all the time. God is not asking us, if God commands us to move forward, and he says, don't look back and don't stand still. If we do, bad things happen. Genesis 19:17 says this, And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And then in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26, it continues. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. God says, stop looking, burn, burn the bridges to the past. Burn whatever is holding you back. Look forward. Keep moving forward. Don't look back. Elisha was determined to never look back. His calling was final. And here's the thing. His calling was final regardless of what lay ahead. Because here's the other part to this. Now, you, you got these things holding you back and God's saying, burn those things. Elisha, burn the bridges to his past. Burn them if they're holding you back. You, I am calling you in this direction. Don't look back. Keep moving forward. But as you're looking forward, you're looking down the road and you're saying, 
there's a curve in that road and I can't see beyond that curve. And then all of a sudden fear starts to get built in. And you're thinking, well, if I go down that road, what happens if? What if? What if? What happens if I, and, and it, maybe if I go around the corner? That's another trap for us. We see, and Elijah, Elisha is saying to us, hey, I got no choice but to move forward regardless of what lays ahead of me. I can't worry about what's, what's laying ahead of me. God is in that world. God will protect me or whatever may happen. I may die going forward, but I'm committed to going forward regardless. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences, I have committed myself to move forward. If, if we're going to enter a new season of life, if we're going to conform to the image of Christ, this must be our attitude. It has to be our attitude. It has to be our mindset. Elisha is teaching us that surrender is not an option. Surrender is not an option. When you're called by God, those things need to be wiped from, from your mind. There is no going back. We talked about this last week. That's why we talked about, we talked about counting the cost. Last week we said, if, you're, if God calls you, you need to count the cost. You need to move forward. You need to follow his call, but you need to count the cost. Because there, when you start moving forward as believers in Jesus Christ, there is no surrender. When, when, we're, when we are called by God, we need to follow that call with reckless abandon. Words like quit or I give up or throwing in the towel need to be completely wiped from our, vocab, our vocabulary. They need to be wiped out. They cannot come out of our mouths. Those thoughts can no longer linger in our lives. When we are called by God, there should be nothing that is standing in our way, or we should allow nothing to stand in our way from following his purpose for our lives. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses four through 10 says, rather, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left hand, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything, regardless of what the world throws at us, even if we're doing the right thing and they're accusing us of doing the wrong thing, even if you're a, you're a one in a hundred people that God has called you to stand up for this truth, you stand for this truth regardless of the circumstances because he's your master, they are not. He called you, they did not. It's why Elijah said to Elisha, go back, do what you need to do. I'm not the one who called you, God called you. You be obedient to God. I'm waiting for you. You be obedient to God. And through it all, we see Elisha doing the most amazing things. When God calls you to a new season of your life, there is no looking. There is no looking back. There is no excuses. There, you, there are no excuses that you can make. We need to move forward. And you say, well, I had a rough, I had a rough childhood, a rough background. I know, and I'm not, I'm not making light of that, I promise. But I'm thinking of Winston Churchill. 
who I really, really like. Winston Churchill was not a good student, had real trouble in school when he was young, struggled a lot. If you're younger here and you're struggling in school, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm not as smart as everybody else and I'll never mount anything. Winston Churchill, even Einstein struggled in some areas of his life when he was younger in school. But Winston Churchill struggled in school. When Winston Churchill decided that he was going to become a politician, he lost every election, okay, that he was involved in until he became prime minister in, at 62 years old. So here's Winston Churchill. <laughs> he never won an election, okay, until that one, when he's 62 years old and becomes prime minister. Wasn't very, didn't do very well in school. But when they asked him, when it, when, it, when it comes down to the attitude of giving up or failure, here's what Winston Churchill says. Never give in, never, never, never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the the, the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never yield. That's what we're talking about here. God calls you. You never yield. You use the gifts that God has given you. If you're not good at that, then you use this. You're not good at this, then you use that. It doesn't matter if God's called you. Here's a, here's a principle you need to understand. If God calls you to do it, he's going to give you the ability to do it. Surround you with the right people, give you the aptitude, give you whatever you're going to need. But if he calls you to do it, he's going to give you the ability to do it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to learn to overcome obstacles to solve problems and to create opportunities as we move from one season in our lives to the next. By, by, by burning the plow, Elisha was burning the bridges to his past. He was letting those things go. He, he, he left himself with no options. He took, he, he had this passionate desire to do what God had called him to do. When he was called, he lived his life with this reckless abandon and had a passion to follow God's call. And he taught us something else in this scripture too. He taught us that if we are going to move from one season to the next, that we need to be prepared. There needs to be preparation. He became Elijah's attendant, his student, and as he invested in the life of Elijah, as Elisha invested in the life of Elijah, he was learning all along the way. So when the time came, because God is preparing to call you, every single one of you, I wish I could live in every, look at every single one of your eyes, God is preparing to call you. The question is, are you preparing, are you preparing now for when that call comes? Because he's going to call, 100% he's going to call. The question I have for my life, Jeff Greer, is am I ready, am I prepared to follow that call when it comes? Second Kings, we're talking about First Kings, now we're in Second Kings 3.11, says this, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Pouring water means he was his servant. 
He was his servant. He, he was, he, he, Elijah was his discipler, his mentor, his teacher, and he learned from him. And they said, wait, there is a guy. He, this guy was, he was Elijah's, he was Elijah's second. He, Elijah built into him. So yes, there is someone, and his name is Elisha. His time with Elijah taught him humility. It, 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 it taught him submission. It taught him loyalty. It taught him faithfulness. It taught, it taught him endurance. What it did was to teach him to be humble, to be a servant. Elisha was a servant of God. He was prepared by Elijah. He was a servant of God. We struggle in our Christian culture with this idea, this idea of humility and, and, and sacrifice and servanthood. We're, we, we're more concerned about people respecting us. You, I, we're more concerned about people show. You've got to show me respect. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've started? Do you know what I've done? You need to show me respect. We're more concerned about people showing us respect than we are about learning how to live humble servanthood lives. That's something we need to change in our culture, in our Christian culture. We need to be servants of God. We need to learn what it means to be a servant of God because these traits are vital to understanding who we are, our identity in Christ, and who we, how we relate to others. These things that Elisha learned are critical to the rest of this series. And how we relate to God. Who am I in relation to God? Who am I in relation to others? It speaks about roles and responsibility and identity. Who I am. It speaks to all those things. Topics that we're going to discuss over the next few weeks. They're vital to our preparation for what God wants to do in our lives next. Listen. And you want to be a leader. I'm a leader. I, I have leadership skills. In order to lead, you must first learn to be a leader. In order to lead, you must first learn how to be a leader. In order to give directions, you must first learn how to take direction. You know, it's so easy for me. I can say, you know, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the senior pastor here and I give direction to the church. And I, before, I, I go back sometimes in my mind and I, I wish I could kind of go back in time and our, people were still around. I could apologize to some people because it's, so, it's easier in your, as a leader to give direction. It's really hard to learn how to take direction. But before you're going to be great at giving direction, you really should learn how to take direction. You want to be faithful you have to learn faithfulness. These are things that we need to learn. Humility, servanthood, faithfulness. These are all things that we need to learn. Listen to Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 as we close off here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. And listen to Mark chapter 10 verses 43 through 45. Listen to these words. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We need to learn what it means to be servants. 
uh, someone was talking to me about it a month ago, and they were they were talking they they had a conversation with someone, not disrespectful, but they were they were on a retreat or something, and they said it wasn't in our church, but they said pastors have I think lost um, their their compass, if you will. They they've lost their place. They they think that the church exists to lift them up and their greatness. And they think the church exists, that the church exists, you, you exist to serve me, to make me greater, to make me more well-known, to make me, to fulfill the, the, the vision that God has for my life, to have all those things. That's not why I was called into ministry. My responsibility is to be a, a shepherd to you. I am your shepherd. I serve you. I, I should be the one washing your feet, humbly washing your feet, investing in your lives. If this church was the sky and we were all stars, if my star ultimately at the end shines the dimmest, I win. I win. I was walking out of church. I was uh, people walking out of church. I was talking to a young lady, Ashley, about a year and a half ago. She wanted to write a book. She's a single mom. She wanted to write a book. And as we're walking out, she handed this to me. And it says, sometimes we, we need a little reminder. You are treasured. You are value. You, you have value. You can make the impossible possible if you believe in yourself. And it's a book. Girl, you are magic, it's called. And she wrote this book. It's her first book. If every single one, just think about this for a second. If, if, this, if this church is a sky and we're all stars and your stars shine brighter than mine, I win. You know, God wants to change the world through us. It doesn't take a church of 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000 to change the world. God uses, God loves to use a remnant. If there's a thousand of us, fine. If there's two thousand of us, that's fine too. God will use a group of people with a passion to follow him who are willing to burn, okay, the past, leave that behind, who are willing to say, I'm going to burn the bridge to anything that holds me back from what God has called me to do. People are willing to look at the future, lock arms together, not alone, but together, look to the future and say, there's nothing that can stand in our way if we're following Jesus Christ. Greater is in me than he that is in the world. I am a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And nothing that is down that road is scarier, okay, than the resurrected Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in someone. Nothing. Do you understand the enemy is afraid of you? The enemy is afraid of you. We act somehow like the enemy is like way more powerful. What do we do when we cower? We don't cower. We stand up. We move forward. And together, we're unstoppable. We become dangerous. This church becomes dangerous. I think we're already dangerous, but I want to raise the danger to a new level. Okay? A new, new level of danger. It's in red now. We raise the level of danger. Because here's the reality of the situation. Satan can't stop us if God has called us. Let's all understand and hold on to that truth. Satan, the enemy, demon, cannot stop us. The world cannot stop us if God has called us. 
God will not stop us because he has called us. So the question I have for you is, what can stop us? Yeah, except. Right. Boom. The only thing that could stop us from fulfilling the God, God's call in our lives is us. You can't stop me. The world can't stop me. The enemy can't stop me. I told the story. I'm going I'm to close off here. I, I told the story a while back, but I had a vision. I was standing in my kitchen, and so it was a, just the day. It was like the week and the month. It was just wearing on, and I just felt like attacked and overwhelmed. And I had this vision, and I realized that the enemy... God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing. God is everywhere at all times. That's God. The enemy is not omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful. Not all-powerful, okay? So if I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God, if I am a joint heir of Jesus Christ, if greater is he that is in me than he is in the world, if I draw, if the blood of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is flowing through my veins, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in me, then I'm not the one who has to worry. And if I, hear me out here, if I start here and God's called me there and I walk forward, nothing can stop me from getting here to there. And I had this vision of the enemy, like, like, if you will, demons leaning, just literally exhausted, laying behind me, leaning against things, practically dead, and the last one with a claw hanging onto the back of my pants, and I'm dragging him along. Because that's the reality. I'm not so great, guys. I'm not so great. I'm kind of average guy, okay? But that's okay. I have all of you, the body of Christ, and I have him. That's all I need. And the enemy is terrified of me. The enemy is petrified to the point of whatever word you want to use, of us. Elisha burned the bridges to his past, was unafraid of what lie ahead, and followed God's call for his life. And that is the example that we are going to follow through this series. That is our example. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, I know that what I'm teaching here is a challenge. It's really difficult, Lord. We know that Elisha knew that he was called, that he was chosen. And so he wasn't afraid of the consequences that lay ahead God, we're your your children. We have been called. We have been chosen. The question is, Lord, for each one of us, and impress it upon our hearts, are we going to move forward regardless of what lay ahead? God, I pray that you would start with me. I pray, Lord God, that I would not stay in the season of life I'm in right now. Not a bad season. Doing great things but you have far more for my life. And I pray, Lord, that I would submit myself to my master to be obedient to you, to prepare myself for whatever you call me to do. Let me be the servant. Let me be the shepherd. Let me wash feet. Let me prepare along with others around me. Let me prepare the people that are in front of me right now to shine 
brightly like stars in the sky. Lord God, if each one of us have that as our attitude, there's nothing that we can't accomplish for you. So we give this to you, Lord God. We ask that each one of us have the courage to pray the same prayer. And we ask that you would fill us immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine because you love us. And God, we love you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Have a great week.